the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, teams changing coaches and how they're going to do. But what we haven't done is talk a lot about the unsung heroes, the guys that have... It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Really emerged as NHL headlines themselves, and there are quite a few of them that are NHL goaltenders, and not just NHL goaltenders, but in some cases, NHL rookie goaltenders challenging for starting jobs. We have the likes of Ilya Samsonov, Tristan Jerry, and... Um, we, we also uh, have this uh, Latvian goalie named Elvis Merz Lincolns, who kind of started off slow, but has really picked it up since uh, the Jonas Corposalo injury. So we're going to talk about them as well as other emerging stars that you've probably heard of, but didn't realize they're doing very, very well. Episode 203 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Uh, so, Brett, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the rookie goalies first. And um, there, there are a couple of interesting uh, goalie battles. And uh, the three that we're going to talk about coincidentally happen to be in the same division. Yeah, that's true. I Actually, that is a good point. I hadn't put that together yet. But we are, all three of them are all uh, together soon. Um as well yeah, in, in the metro division yeah. yeah for the metro division i should also mention we're not going to talk about these guys but um first off i i found a stat on Ilya sorokin who is a new york islanders goalie prospect and he plays in the khl for Ska moscow um i saw this stat here um that he has i forget the exact numbers but something like he's played in like what like 400 career KHL games he's really talented he's like 21 years old too um but 20 percent of his KHL games that he started were shutouts um which is incredible when you think about it in that percent in that percentage yeah that's my yeah. yeah um so uh he's gonna be he's like the next goalie phenom um and then also Sh- Shesterkin we're not going to talk about, but he's uh, slowly but surely taking over the Rangers uh, goaltending um, in the future. He's supposed to be the goaltender of the future, which is interesting because uh, the Rangers are now holding three goalies um, up on their pro roster with Henrik Lundqvist, uh, Shesterkin, who I just talked about, and um, and then there's uh, Alexander Gorgiev. Um, yeah. so that kind of brings into debate of like, well, will the Rangers trade Gorgiev or Lundqvist? Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of sparked the trade bait boards, which we'll talk about, um, maybe in another episode, but anyways, um, when you said that they were all in the same division, I was like, there's also like Sorokin and Shesterkin who are doing really well as well in their own right. But we're going to start off with these three goalies are goalies that have gone off um, or have been really hot lately. Um, and we uh, 
and they are so good that they're they're actually might have the starter role um, and taking it away from the other goalies. So the first two we're going to talk about, Tristan Jari and Ilya Samsonov, um, those guys, uh, like it's kind of a surprise because Matt Murray and Braden Holtby are good goalies and you wouldn't think that they would be competing, uh, these two guys would be competing for the starter role, but uh, it's happened. And then we're going to talk about Elvis Merzilkins, as you've mentioned at the lead-in to the show um, as well. Um, so yeah, we're going to start off with Tristan Jari. Um, the interesting thing about this case is it's not that Matt Murray's been terrible, but it's just that Tristan Jari's been like a superhero. Um, he has a 2.16 GAA, a save percentage of 929, uh, a save percentage of 929, and has sh- sh- uh, he has had three shutouts um, so far. Um, right now, um, he's only he's played in. Sorry, let me just <laughs> look at his stats quickly. Uh, he's sixteen eight and one. Um, so he's played in twenty. He's started in twenty three games, um, but he's basically he's he's been able to. Uh, counteract uh, what Matt Murray's been doing, which is a 2.84 GAA, GAA um, a save percentage of 900, and Matt Murray's only had one shutout, um, and Matt Murray ha- has a winning percentage of, he's 15, 6, and 4, which isn't terrible, but not like what Tristan Jari has been able to do. So, um, yeah, the, the, of all the three that we're going to talk about, I think um, this is probably the most interesting one because it kind of reminds me of back when Matt Murray was a rookie with Marc-Andre Fleury um, being the veteran goaltender and it seemed like he didn't have it anymore. But uh, it seems like Tristan Jari has always been the, this heralded player Um in, uh, but like you know, it's always said like, well, too bad that Matt Murray's on their team because he's the real legitimate player or the goaltender of the future. But it seems like Tristan Jari has been on another level lately. Um, and although I will say that uh, a couple of the games that he's given up three goals in the past like ten games that he's played, so. Um, like he averages around that that mark almost every game. It's kind of scary, um, but so he hasn't been as good. But he did get called up at the All Star game for the Atlantic team. Or, uh, sorry, not the uh, the Atlantic team, the Metro team. Um, and you know, I think he actually has a legitimate shot at being the starter full time. Yeah, um, here's the thing with uh, Tristan Jario. Um, it was around this time last year, and we've kind of seen this rodeo with Matt Murray before, where um, it's either he's hurt or he's been struggling, and he just finds a way to win his job back. In 2018, yep. or no, 2017 playoffs, sorry, um, he was the guy. Then he gets hurt before the playoffs start. I believe it was the warm-up of game one before the series against Columbus. Flurry comes in on short notice. While Murray is hurt, 
Flurry gets them to the conference finals. Game three of the conference finals against Ottawa, Flurry gets shelled. Matt Murray comes in, doesn't relinquish his job. Rest is history. Penguins win their uh, second straight Stanley Cup, and uh, Murray is the guy that once again helps get them what they've been looking for a stanley cup then you go to um a couple of inconsistencies in 2017 18 but murray's still the guy then you get to last year where it looked like for a bit casey DeSmith has taken over matt murray's job and then something happens along the way matt murray starts to get hot by the time last year's playoffs roll around, Matt Murray is the guy. And where's Tristan Jerry and all of this? In the minors. So um, the thing with Tristan Jerry and, and Casey DeSmith, um, this is the second straight year where it looks like Matt Murray's the odd man out in Pittsburgh and he just keeps finding a way to battle back and, and get his job back. And I think he's about to do it again because yeah. if you look at uh, Tristan Jerry's uh, past five games, um, he's allowed three goals in uh, six straight starts prior to the Philly game on Tuesday. Uh, that was January 21st. Um, in eight games, six Christmas, Jerry's GAA has been 2.72. His save percentage is just 909, which, considering how well he's played, that's kind of human for him. And during that uh, stretch, Matt Murray has played in five games, won all five. His GA is 2.55, and his save percentage is 9.25. And in the third periods in particular, the past five games, yep. he's faced 69 shots and stopped all but two of them. Yep. And he's faced good opponents like Boston, like Colorado, like Nashville during that stretch. So it's not like he's getting the bottom-of-the-barrel teams. He's actually going up against some good competition. So the resurgence of Matt Murray might be becoming a thing once again, which is why... I'm a little hesitant to say that Tristan Jerry has kind of run away with the starters gate. It's great, first of all, that both Jerry and Matt Murray have been playing well. And sometimes, for reasons unknown, the team just seems to play better in front of a certain guy. You look at Matt Murray's numbers this season, um, the Pens have outscored the opposition 82-52 to this year with Tristan Jerry in the net. When Matt Murray's been in the net, they've only outscored the other team 81 to 75. And those numbers were worse before Matt Murray um, got hot in his recent five-game run that's still active. Um, like, shots on goal, minutes played, shots stopped. It's it's kind of the same with, with Jerry and Murray from a season standpoint so far, from a season standpoint overall. The difference is Jerry's stopping more of the shots that he's facing, and that's why he's top three in GAA, top three in save percentage, yep. and that's why Matt Murray is um, outside of the top 20 in both. And as, as far as save percentage goes, he's actually 40th. It's at 900. Right. Um, out of 56 goals with at least um, 15 games played, Matt Murray is 40th in save percentage. So sometimes it, it just takes to a little bit of luck um and and maybe just a little bit of a confidence what whatever the case may be um tristan jerry has been the better goalie from a season but uh, from a season standpoint right now but i get the funny feeling that matt murray is starting to roll at the right time and the penguins were able to get on a roll without crosby 
not just by Malkin playing well, not just by Brian Russ playing well, but because Tristan Jerry was playing out of his mind fantastic for them. And they are going to ride with the goaltender that gets them wins. So if Matt Murray continues to keep winning, he's going to keep getting starts and likely he's going to keep getting results as a result of it. So um, I'm a little cautious to say that Jerry uh, has the starting job in Pittsburgh. Um, It's good that he's playing well, but um, I'm not one to count out Matt Murray just yet. Yeah, I guess it's fair. I think kudos for Jerry for taking over, especially when Crosby has been out. Um, There is one thing that I will mention, though, um, in terms of Matt Murray's hot start now, or that now that he's finally getting going again. But uh, he's only played in, like, five of the last uh, 14 games. Um, So he's, he's a little bit more rested than Tristan Jari as well. Um, so maybe that has something to do with it as well. But, um, and also not to mention that, like, you know, in this, in today's NHL, it's good to have uh, two really good goaltenders um, in your lineup because of all the back-to-backs and all that stuff. And if we take from, like, last year with Jordan Bennington and we took from the year before that, um, with uh, Braden Holpe and Grubauer, um, you know, if we take from even Matt Murray taking over from Marc Andre Fleury, those two Stanley Cup years, um, and not to mention Tuka Rask was on fire in the playoffs because Yaroslav Halak like played half of the regular season games. Um, there's a bunch of different examples, but it seems like that's what a lot of teams are doing. And it has shown that um, if you have, if you give your starter goal, starting goaltender some rest um, in the regular season, then they're more likely to uh, be on fire in the playoffs. Um, so, so there is something to that where a lot of teams are giving their starting goaltending some rest, and that's why you need your backup to be uh, pretty good. Um, and so in a way it doesn't really matter who's the starter because they've both been able to, um, you know, come up with wins when, especially when their best player, Sidney Crosby is injured. So, uh, so that, that does give them some credit for that. Uh, or I'll yeah, give and and what's that. also interesting about where the Penguins are seated, if you take a look at the overall NHL standings, the Pittsburgh Penguins, New York Islanders, Columbus Blue Jackets, and Washington Capitals are in the top 10. Like, they are in the top six teams, all four of them. And Columbus, who is ranked sixth in the league, is fourth um, in their division. Yep. So, like, Columbus is a top 10 team, but in that division, they're not even a division champion. They're top four. So, yeah. like, every single one of these games is important for Pittsburgh to for win. For sure. Which is a good segue, because now we're going to be talking about the Washington Capitals, who do have a playoff yeah. spot right now. Um, yeah. And they they have an interesting situation, too. Uh, so, we're going to talk about Ilya Samsonov. Um, so, Braden Holtby has played in 33 games. Um, he's 18-9. Um, and, oh, I don't have the statistic of how many games he's lost in overtime, but 
Um, it's okay. Yeah, he's uh, Braden Holpe's eighteen nine and four. He started at, in thirty three games okay. and is eleventh uh, in the league in wins, eleventh in the league in starts as well. Got it. Thank you. I actually have <laughs> this. I brought up the stats here. I was looking at a weird thing. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, yeah. So he's uh, yeah he's eighteen uh, nine and four, um, but he has a save percentage of eight ninety seven. Um, and a GAA of 3.09. However, Ilya Samsonov, he's only played in 19 games, but he's 15, 2, and 1. Um, he has a save percentage of 927 and a GAA of 2.06. He's also had one shutout. Pulte's hasn't had a shutout this year. Um, so this is the thing that it's, this is interesting because Samsonov has only played 19 games. Um, and so I, I tend to like, I think, I think I want to see a couple more games that he plays before I really put in a judgment on him. Um, but of course his stats are incredible. And especially when yeah. Braden Holtby has a sub 900 save percentage, it is definitely a little bit alarming. Um, however, because Samsonov has only played in about 20 games, and Holpe has played in 30 games, I think there is some discrepancy there where, like, okay, so Holpe has played in, what, four, uh, th 14 more games than Samsonov? So it's like, of course, Samsonov's going to be a little bit more um, excitable or whatever. Um, and it's just like a low, it's a low sample size um, in general to judge, especially a goaltender. But... Um, but I think it's going to be one of those things like we wait and see, um, how Samsonov does. Um, and also not to mention that Holpe is going to be a free agent next year. Um, so it is good to see what, what the Capitals have in Samsonov while Holpe is still in the corner, um, here, um, and, and all that stuff. And again, like I mentioned, it will become important in the playoffs when Holpe uh, will probably t take over as the starter. Yeah, the Capitals have this interesting situation where they're in a very tough division where they can't afford to really lose too much ground because Pittsburgh, Columbus, and the Islanders are all right there. Um, Pittsburgh in particular because now they have Crosby back and um, him and Malkin are actually playing and they're both healthy at the same time and Brian Rust has emerged as a good threat for them um, so the Capitals can't afford to really take a step back here at the same time they have no shortage of offensive weapons of their own Yaka Verana has been having a pretty good year in his own right Ovechkin is still playing like Alex Ovechkin he's still scoring goals um, so it's 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 definitely good that they have two goalies that are helping them get results but um again it, it all comes down to who's stopping the puck and who's not if you take a look at Braden Holpe's stats um he's 45th out of 56 goaltenders in minutes played this year um in terms of shots faced amongst 56 goaltenders with at least 15 games played he sits 45th 44th in saves made uh, or actually, no, I'm taking a look at somebody else's numbers. Here are Braden Holpe's numbers. Um, he's, he's, he, uh, <laughs> omit what I just said. So Braden Holpe 
is ranked 13th in minutes played amongst goalies. That's more accurate. 14th in shots faced, 15th in saves made. But in terms of goals against average and save percentage, he's not even in the top 40 out of those 56 goalies, which is alarming. Like the Capitals, who who can score goals pretty well, are being outscored 97 to 96 this season when Brayden Holpe's in the net, and they're still 18, 9, and 4. You compare that to Samsonov, who is 50th out of 56 goalies in minutes played, has faced the 51st, um, who is ranked 51st in shots faced, 50th in saves made, because he hasn't played as much, but he's top five in goals against and save percentage because he's doing a better job at keeping the puck out of the net than Holpe is. And the Caps have outscored the opposition 71 to 37 with Samsonov in the net. So in, in terms of recent play, especially in the past couple of months, Samsonov has really elevated his game. He's had some bright spots this season. There was that game against Carolina where he single-handedly helped the Caps steal a point. He stopped close to 40 shots in that game, uh, 38 saves, as a matter of fact, against Carolina, and he beat him another time as well. Um, he's also got two wins against the Islanders, uh, the latest one coming in relief of Fulby a few weeks ago. Um, gone up against Dallas and Columbus this year. He won both of those games. He stopped 19 of 21 shots against the Avalanche. Um, the Caps beat Tampa, and Samsonov stopped 26 of 28 in that game. Um, in a game against Calgary, stopped 25 of 27. So he's had some good looks against some pretty good teams. And in the past two months, December and January, he has won nine in a row, has only given up a combined 14 goals over the past two months on uh, 242 shots. Like, these are some superhuman stats that Samsonov is putting up. So... It's definitely assuring if you're a Capitals fan that this rookie is not only getting some playing time, but whenever he is, he's not just playing well, he's playing fantastic. He's playing out of his mind. And I think it would be very beneficial for the Capitals to give him more of a workload in the second half and not just more of a workload, but more of a quality workload. I want to see him going up against teams like Boston and Pittsburgh and, um, you know, all, all of the playoff bound teams with top 10 offenses that are really going to challenge his limitations because if he is going to become the number one goalie, he has got to play that role to a T. He is going to be going up against those top 10 teams with top 10 offenses and he's got to have an answer for them. So it, it, I, I think ultimately, even if Holby was playing well, um, the decision to go with Samsonov would probably be a bit more clear, but even more so with Holby putting up these kind of average numbers, if he's going to be asking for like six or seven million in the offseason, if Samsonov is playing like this, the clear cut answer is to go with Samsonov. But you got to be sure that Samsonov can do the job better than Holby when it comes to playing against those quality teams and getting results. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is a good point. Um, yeah, I hadn't thought about it. I, I feel like this is one of those wait and see type situations. Um, mm -hmm. But with 
the free agency looming for Holtby, um, it is something to keep an eye on even more. Um, all right, and then the last goalie we're going to talk about here is um, Elvis Merzilkins. Um, I, th- I think I'm going to pronounce I think I pronounced it right. I, I doubt I did. Um, but uh, he, uh, so this is kind of different than the other two situations because Murray and Holtby aren't injured. Whereas for this case, Corpusalo has been in, has been injured for uh, since like December. Um, but the thing that's impressive with this is that when Corpusalo was healthy, um, you know, Merzilkins wasn't doing too hot. But ever since that Corpusalo injury, Elvis Merzilkins has been like a godsend almost, um, and now it shows up on his overall stats as well. Um, he has, uh, he's nine, six and four. Uh, he has a save percentage of nine twenty six. He's had three shutouts and a GAA of 2.39. Um, he's played in 21 games. Corpusalo um, is 17, 10 and four. Uh, he has a save percentage of nine thirteen and a goals against average of 2.49. So not terrible, but not like what Merzilkins has been able to do. Um, the thing with this situation is that Merzilkins had been kind of heralded as like the goalie of the future and why a big reason why the Blue Jackets weren't willing to spend so much on Bobrovsky to begin with because they did believe that they had their goalie in Merzilkins. Um, so that, that, that does... Uh, so he was kind of already the goaltender of the future for them to begin with, um, even before this season started. But the thing was, is that he started off very poorly and then, um, and Corpusalo did pretty decently so that he, he became the starter here. But now I think the, the injury that Corpusalo had kind of has affected him. Um, and he's... Basically, I, I'm going to appoint Elvis Merzilkins as the starter, um, even when Corpusello is injured. Um, or even, sorry, I should say, even when he comes back to full health, I think uh, Elvis has, has the job. He's done enough where I feel like Elvis will be the guy that the Blue Jackets rely on. Um, and, and that's impressive. And also, we should note that the Blue Jackets as a whole um, has been incredible, especially when they've lost Panarin, they've lost Bobrovsky, they lost Duchesne, um, and, they're still, you know, and they have a playoff spot. And Nashville, uh, New York, and um, the other team, the, both New York teams, wait, I can't speak. Uh, well, Florida has a has a playoff spot, but uh, the Rangers and um, the uh, the Predators aren't in the playoffs, but you know Columbus is in the playoffs. Um, so that's something that is impressive. Um, but yeah, so uh, so what do you have on Merzilkins? While Columbus has been impressive and they're sixth in the league, it should also be noted that Vegas, who is or, or Toronto, who's like five points behind them, is 17th out of 31 teams in the league. So again, not much separation between everyone in the East and the West. 
Um, Vegas also has 57 points, I believe. So they're right in Toronto's wheelhouse as well. Um, but you're right, Elvis has become the goalie that a lot of people were hoping he'd become in Columbus. And I think what kind of changed things with Elvis is when he started playing regularly at the NHL level, just like it was with Corpusalo, because in previous years with Corpusalo, he wasn't really playing well because Bobrovsky was playing so much. And now that he was playing on an everyday basis at the time of his injury, he was top five in the league in wins because he was playing so often. He wasn't even getting too many days off because Merce Lincolns wasn't playing well enough. He wasn't getting enough wins. And um, they just kept riding the hot hand with Corpusalo and Corpusalo, um, it you know, at times it might look boring, but he was getting the job done. He was making the saves. And that's kind of what Merce Lincolns has been able to do since the Corpus Allo injury. And the way he kind of prepared for that, he actually, for the first couple of starts that he made um, after the Corpus Allo injury, he didn't talk to the media. He just wrote out a statement answers to question and then just like submitted to the media he didn't actually talk face to face to the media because he was so focused on delivering results and just getting into a groove and helping his team win games and then after that he started talking to the media a bit more he focused on trying to have more fun on the ice and that has resulted in a bit of success for him and this hot streak that is really got him a lot of notoriety around the NHL and the hype was there like you said going into this year he was playing in Europe but he was getting a lot of hype and and the hope was that he was going to be the future number one goalie for the Jackets and his numbers in January have just been through the roof um 17 goals against on 330 shots in those 10 games he's won eight of them Owns a GAA of 1.72 in January, three shutouts, 948 save percentage, absolutely monster numbers. Uh, the numbers that I rhymed off uh, in the Holpe section, those weren't Holpe's numbers, those were actually Elvis's numbers. He um, is ranked 45th out of 56 goaltenders with at least 15 games played and minutes played. He's below the top 40 in shots faced and saves made, obviously, because he hasn't been playing a lot this year up until now. But he's top 10 in GAA, top 10 in save percentage, and shots against per 60 minutes, he's 11th out of 56 goaltenders. He's faced an average of 32.4 shots against per 60 minutes, which is pretty incredible for a guy that didn't really see that much action until about a month ago when the injury to Corpus Allo happened. And it's just been like two goals against, one goal against, no goals against. There was a stretch of four games where he got his three shutouts. Um, so he's 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 been a man on fire. He's honestly played very, very well. Uh, but prior to the injury, Corpus Allo was also starting to get into a groove himself. His GAA in December was below two. He had a 932 save percentage. He was 6-2-3 and three in that stretch. So I think, again, it's all going to come down to who the hot hand is going to be it's it's probably beyond this year where i'm interested to see what happens because i think it's fair game for either of these two to really grab the starting reins and and run with yeah. it 
um, because both, I think, have certainly shown this year that they're capable of becoming a number one goalie for this franchise. And I also find it funny that the three goalies that Columbus has used, Corpus Allen appeared in a game against the Rangers, and he stopped 31-32. and 32. So even their third stringer has gotten results for them. All three of those guys may, don't even make three million combined this year, and Bobrovsky's making ten million, and all three of those goalies have better numbers than him. So whatever gamble that Yarmo has made, um, to this point, it's certainly paid off, and I think it's a testament to the goalies and a testament to the team play and the structure that John Tortorella has put in place. Goaltending thing. Yeah, that is a good point. I, I I credit. I think a lot of the credit should go to, um, yeah, both Tortorello, Tor, Tortorello, Tortorella, and um, <laughs> and um, you just said his name, uh, the the Yarmo Kekalainen. Um, Yarmo Kekalainen, the GM. Yeah, because um, because I guess they could have overpaid. Like, I mean, Panarin's been unbelievable too, but. Bobrovsky hasn't been so great in uh, Florida um, compared to what his contract is. And so it's kind of um, an interesting thing that's going on where they, they are playing pretty well. We thought like, okay, they're not gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna be a lottery team, but um, it turns out they're not. And I had, I think, like I remember in the off season, I had I had been a little bit more high on the Blue Jackets than you were, if I remember correctly. But um, I didn't yeah. expect. I just I I, I don't I think I predicted. See. I don't think I predicted them to make the playoffs, but I did think that they were going to be like in the middle of the pack. Um, but I've been yeah. wrong so far as well. But I think. I, I was less wrong than you are, and that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. I think I, you, you, I think what you said was something along the lines of, I don't think they're going to be as bad as people think they're going to be this year. Yeah. And I definitely thought it would take a lot of things to go right, and they would have to play a team-structured game to get it done. But if they got some bounces going their way, Columbus – could make some noise maybe not be a top three divisional team but maybe get into a wild card spot somehow but um i thought just because of how the talent was balanced in the east that columbus didn't have the firepower to like really keep up with everybody else and i still am kind of worried about that uh, as we get into the final months of the season here but um they've certainly given themselves a shot to be in a position to win and the goaltending and the team structure have definitely helped them out. And I think that's the only way any of this is possible. If the goaltending was playing well and if the team as a whole was playing well. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's get into some skaters that we've noticed that have stood out now. Um, So we're going to start off with John Marino. Um, I love it. I love, I just love the last name here because he, uh, because um, you can always make these jokes like, oh, he's the best Marino in sports of all time and all that stuff, even though obviously he's not. But um, I do love making those jokes. I also was looking at his bio here. Um, he went to Harvard, first of all. 
and he he grew up in Massachusetts, northeastern Massachusetts. So um, so now I, I love him even more. Um, he was a sixth round pick um, in 2015 by the Edmonton Oilers. Um, so another draft. Um, it turns out it's another like you know, Edmonton doesn't have a ton of luck um, with their drafts. So it's uh, kind of interesting there. Um, but so far, he uh, Marino has uh, 23 points in 48 games. Um, he's also he's also been pretty good on the defensive side of things, which I think is more impressive um, than than anything as well. But he has been able to put up some points on the um, as well, um, which is uh, good to know because you know Latang often gets injured, and he's kind of. Uh, you know, taking a, taking over that PP line um, when it, when Latang has been out, um, so that's interesting there. Um, I remember actually, I think his first goal was against the Bruins, um, and I remember it being very impressive. Um, so if you guys have the time, please look that one up. But um, yeah, he, I I've been impressed by him just by watching him play for a while. Um, he's been he's been pretty good. Um, I'm not sure how long it's going to last because I don't think he was this good in college, but um, I think there is something to this where he'll be a pretty decent defenseman for the Penguins um, in the long term. I think part of the reason why I think both of us have really noticed his success is that he wasn't expected to be much of anything at the start of the year. Like, Basically, the Penguins acquired his signing rights, and all it took to get it was a six-round pick. Like, right. they didn't give up the farm to get this guy. Um, so when, when you take a look at his numbers before this year, um, he had a 30-point season with the USHL's, USHL's Tri-City Storm. Uh, yep. That was back in 2015-16. Um, he spends three seasons at Harvard University, and he picks up seven goals and 42 points over those three seasons. And now with uh, the likes of Erica Branson and Oli Mata now on different rosters, he has got an NHL gig in Pittsburgh. Yep. Um, so I did some digging as to who he spends most of his time with uh, on the ice. And at even strength, over 30% of that has been spent with Marcus Peterson. Uh, another 20.7% has been spent with Jack Johnson. Uh, another 19% with Chris Letang at his side. And then... Another 18.3% has been shared with Brian Dumoulin. So he hasn't really had a legit defense partner. He's kind of been put all over the place. He, uh, the coach, Mike Sullivan's kind of juggled the defense pairing combos, and um, he hasn't really consistently had his guy. Um, so it's kind of interesting how he's been uh, shuffled around in various situations. Um, nevertheless, 23 points in 48 games for a guy who you had to give up a six-round pick just to try to sign him. That's pretty freaking fantastic uh, for a rookie. Yeah. Um, take a look at his shots on goal. Um, only Latang and Schultz have more on the Penguins amongst their 10 blue liners that have played for them this year. Um, his uh, four goals are good enough for second on that list as well. Only four points for the power play, so he hasn't been really that much of a power play guy. Um, 
You take a look at other categories. He has 64 hits, so that's fourth amongst Penguins blue liners. Um, leads the way in block shots with 68. Um, actually first in takeaways and 14 ahead of Chris Letang amongst Penguins blue liners, which is interesting. So he's the team leader in takeaways by Penguins defensemen. So that's pretty good. Um, drawn 12 penalties as well, only taken nine. That's pretty good uh, for a guy that's other times on the third pairing uh in terms of ice time he's actually uh logged over 95 minutes on the penalty kill so he's been a good addition there um the only guy with more penalty uh, with more shorthanded minutes than him is jack johnson and he has over 102 minutes on the season yeah uh and his overall average ice time is 2026 20, per game so considering what he was expected to be which is a depth piece to their defense he's had a pretty nice season for himself yeah i think that's where i am a little bit skeptical of him uh, i have been liking what i see i have him on like a bunch of my fantasy teams as well so i do like what i've seen from him but on the other hand i know that like when i look at what he was able to do at harvard by the way, so he played at Harvard for three years, um, and the most points that he's gotten um, uh, was his sophomore year, where he had 16 points in 33 games. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's... I didn't even have 20 points in the college season, yeah. Yeah, didn't so, that, 20 points. so that's where I get a little bit skeptical. I mean, of course, he's a defenseman, and, like, you know, 33 games is what they play, so that's around half half the points so i guess if you were to draw it out if you were to play 82 In games season, that'd be like 30 that'd be 40, 40 yeah 30 or 40 so that's not that's decent but um it's still it's still an alarming thing where you're like oh so he's not that much of a offensive person and so it is a little crazy that he's been able to like skip the ahl and go straight into the NHL, and all of a sudden he has 23 points in his first 48 games in the NHL. It's kind of crazy when you think of it that way. Um, but um, but at the same time, it's like okay, maybe he is like just a, like this is a diamond in the rough type player. Those do exist still. Um, but um, so I I it, it's something to be cautious about. Um, I do like what I'm seeing out of him. And it's something that, like, you know, Penguins, the Penguins have been struggling to find a defenseman um, other than Chris Letang because it's pretty much been for the last couple of years, it's been Chris Letang and five other guys, basically. And yeah. um, so, like, at least he, this guy has some potential and could be something eventually. But it's one of, it's, you know, he's still a rookie and he has an interesting, uh, career path and it's it's like it could he has a chance of being a bust um it just doesn't look like he's slowing down at the moment right now but he very well could yeah it's it's one of those things where it's like the same thing the saying old true beauty is yeah. in the eye of the beholder you yeah. know like we're not expecting much out of this guy at right up right off the get-go as i said at the start yeah and he's he's putting together you know pace of like 30 plus points as a depth guy right um if if this was like a guy that you were paying like four million per year and he was supposed to be like a top four defenseman or a top two defenseman 
um, then maybe we'd be thinking about John Marino a little bit differently. But True. because we're looking at him as a depth piece on a Penguins team that relies a lot on Chris Letang, the Penguins look like geniuses and John Marino looks like a very good player. Yeah. So, so, that, so that, that's going to be the test moving forward is where does he go from here? Right. And I think that's just a wait and see type situation for sure. Yeah. A lot of what we're talking about is a wait. Yeah, I guess that. Yeah, that's a good point. Everyone we're talking about right now is a wait and see. But um, yeah, I feel like I've said wait and see on every player now that I think about it. Um, okay, whatever. Um, so now we have. Um, actually, this is a different. So the next guy we're going to talk about actually has a different career path from Anthony Dean uh, from Anthony Dean from John Marino. The guy I'm talking about is Anthony D'Angelo. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, you may have to remind me, but I think that like um, in 2014 when he was drafted um, 19th overall by Tampa Bay, I remember they like they talked about him. He was on the OHL, so you're more um, uh, in charge of that. But like, didn't he have like personality issues, and that's why he dropped a little in the draft? Uh, like they all agree that he was very talented, but he had like some off ice issues or something. Isn't that right? I or... can't remember exactly what those issues were, but yeah, I do remember conversations that were that there yeah. was some off ice stuff that people were kind of a bit hesitant okay. uh, to kind of like but... um, get, give him a higher ranking and right. maybe that so, scared some teams away. So that kind of like um, a Josh Hosing or a, a Ryan Merkley type situation. Well, tough to say. Tough to say when I don't really know much about okay. his situation or Josh Hosing's situation. But yeah, there was there was something there, and it was enough to perhaps scare some teams away. So okay, um, especially when you consider the talent level um, that Tony D'Angelo had in the OHL. Yeah. Um, he probably would have gone a lot higher than he did if there if there wasn't any baggage to his yeah. name at that point. That's fair. But uh, so, anyways, he was drafted by the Lightning, and then he plays um, in a couple of AHL games. He he had a decent actually uh, time in Syracuse. He had forty three points in sixty nine games in the AHL as a rookie. Yeah, as a that rookie. Was good for a um, so that's pretty good. And then he gets traded. Uh, from Tampa to Arizona for a second round pick, which is <laughs> kind of funny. Um, and he gets, um, uh, and, and then he goes to Arizona for a couple of years, uh, for a couple of games. Um, and then Tucson, he had 16 points in 25 games. Uh, but then when he gets to the pro, uh, the pro team in Arizona, he has 14 points in 39 games. Um, that's okay, but you know, not great. Um, but you know, decent. And then, uh, he gets traded again from Arizona to New York, um, in that, uh, infamous, uh, first round pick. Uh, he was packaged with a first round pick who turned into Leah Anderson, uh, and Antti Ranta and Derek Stepan go back to, go to Arizona. Um, and then in New York, uh, his first year, he had eight points in 32 games, so not great. Um, then he plays a little bit more in Hartford, um, where he had 13 points in 29 games. Um, then he plays the next year in New York, 
uh, where he had 30 points in 61 games, so that's pretty good. And now this is where he actually started to break out. Uh, he has, um, at the halfway point, or 48 games for the Rangers, um, he has 37 points, um, 12 goals, 25 assists. Um, I believe, if I'm, if I'm calculating this right, uh, 12 of those 37 points are on the power play, which is pretty interesting because like they, the Rangers did get uh, Artemi Panarin, but their other big gets were Adam Fox and Jacob Truba, and we kind of expected that Jacob Truba especially would be like the power play quarterback for that team, but it turns out that Tony D'Angelo is more of that guy. Um, and he's kind of taken over and become the power play quarterback for the Rangers. Um, and, and yeah, he's been really, really good, um, as, as I mentioned. But he kind of had a reverse career path where he had a lot of hype to it when he was drafted. Um, and then it kind of slowed, slowed, like he had a decent couple of seasons and then gets traded. And now he, he's back to being pretty good. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. I think he is more likely of the three guys that we're going to talk about. He is more, most likely to actually be sustainable. Um, but, uh, just because of his pedigree, um, and all that stuff. But, um, but even still, it's, it's kind of impressive that he's been able to, um, to do so well, even when the Rangers aren't that good of a team. Yeah, for sure. Um, what when he was coming out of the OHL, the hype around Tony D'Angelo was pretty big. Um, as a rookie with the Sarnia Sting, he had uh, twenty three points in sixty eight games. Then he has fifty eight and sixty two as a second year. Third year, he has fifteen goals and seventy one points in fifty one games. And then split between Sarnia and Sault Ste. Marie in his final year, he gets 25 goals and 89 points. So like I said, a lot of offensive hype to this guy. Um, last year, 30-point season, honestly, that was pretty worth for Tony D'Angelo. And I thought it was going to be the threshold for him this year. Again, maybe 40 points. But now we're almost at the 50-game game mark for the Rangers, and he's knocking on the door of 40 points like prior to this year i think he had like nine combined goals and this year alone he has 12 which just kind of like speaks to the research uh, with which kind of uh speaks to just how good he's been this year and his average ice time has actually gone down by 14 seconds compared to last year and he's still putting up these kind of numbers um the rangers defense i think in has played a role to an, to that extent. If you take a look at Jacob Truba and uh, Brady Shea, um, they're kind of logging all of the other minutes. Like they're taking charge on the penalty kill. They're taking charge in hits and block shots. So Truba in particular has played a critical role with that Rangers blue line. Adam Fox in his own right has had a pretty good season. If you take a look at Tony D'Angelo's shorthanded minutes, it's not even at three this year. Yeah. He hasn't even played shorthanded minutes pretty much all this time is at the power play and even strength. That's yeah, I didn't know that. pretty much his goal. So he's kind of still, in that regard, a one-dimensional player. 
kind of reminds me a lot of the year that Eric Gustafson had last year yep. where giveaways were an issue and they are an issue for Tony D'Angelo. That's part of the uh, part. That's part of his game that I think he still needs to clean up a little bit in order for him to really take that next step. But Gustafson quietly piled up 60 plus points last year yeah. and Tony D'Angelo appears to be on that same route. Um, so that's that's going to be the interesting question moving forward is what is Tony D'Angelo's all-around game going to be like? Is it going to get any better? Is it just going to stay the same and he's just this one-dimensional player that you only trust on like power play and even strength situations to create offense? So that's kind of what I'm interested uh, to see uh, right now. But no doubt the offensive upside is there. Like at one point this season, he had more goals than... Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, Drew Doughty, P.K. Subban, Victor Hedman, all of those guys that if they haven't won a Norris trophy, there have been times in their career where they have been put in the conversation for that Norris trophy. And Tony D'Angelo at one point this year had goal had more goals on the campaign than all of them did. So that just goes to show you um, what Tony D'Angelo is capable of. I would kind of bring up this other point that maybe Artemi Panarin has played a bit of a role in Tony D'Angelo having this breakout season because if you take a look at some of the other talents on the Rangers and how their point per game has gone up it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy like D'Angelo's point per game has gone up by 0.35 compared to last year um, Brian Strom's points per game has gone up by 0.43 compared to last year. Uh, Zibanejad's went up by 0.27 compared to last year. Um, so there have been a lot of Rangers that have been affected by, in some way, the arrival of Artemi Panarin. Um, but like John Marino, Tony D'Angelo hasn't really found a regular defense partner. Mark Stahl has played on the same combo as Tony D'Angelo for 34.3% of even strength ice time thus far. Brady Shea, 23.6%, Libor Hayek, 12%, and Adam Fox, 9.8%. So um, it kind of leaned towards Mark Stahl there, but it, it's not like 50% of the time at even strength he's with Mark Stahl. He's still playing with other defense partners and it's been kind of like spread out evenly like it's been with John Marino in Pittsburgh. So Tony D'Angelo is kind of an interesting case in the sense of what is his ceiling? Like, can it get better than this? Or is this year just one of those coming out parties and then he kind of reverts to the 30 to 40 point pace that's going to become the common theme for the rest of his career? Or is this potentially 60-plus point season going to be the start of something big for him? That's what I'm interested to see with Tony D'Angelo. And I I do maintain that maybe Artemi Panarin plays a bit of a role in how good Tony D'Angelo can be because Panarin is one of those puck possession drivers that has really kind of changed how people look at the New York Rangers nowadays. Yeah, I mean, I think... Panarin has, like, we kind of expected Panarin to be that kind of guy because that's what he was in Columbus and what he was in Chicago as well. 
Um, but yeah, no. But even even Panarin's points per game compared to last year, it's yeah. gone up. Yeah, that's and fair. He was phenomenal in Columbus last year. True, true. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I guess. I mean, what Panarin's been doing has been incredible too. Um, but yeah, I didn't know that. Like he, Tony D'Angelo has been. You know, he's he's just been the offensive guy and hasn't been playing shorthanded minutes and. Um, and has always just been on the offensive zone and stuff like that. So I didn't know, realize that. So maybe that that does uh, put in some negatives on his part that maybe he isn't, it's not sustainable. But we'll see. I don't know. Um, the next guy we'll talk about is uh, Dominic Kubalik. Um, he, um, the thing that's interesting with him is he has... 32 points in 49 games, but he's been doing it with little ice time, speaking of. Uh, he has an average ice time of 13.30 uh, um, in ice time, but he has 32 points in 49 games, so he's pretty close to that. Um, I think, like, recently he had this, like, incredible goal where he, like, um, I think it was Patrick Kane, like, uh, like, uh, pass to him and and then uh, Kubalik kind of like hit it like a baseball bat into the net um, into, to make it a goal. I think I think yes. that might have been I think that might have been Taze. Oh, was it Taze? That was I think it was, and I think it was against uh, Toronto when they won six to yeah. three. I remember because Taze had this speechless reaction afterwards, or or maybe it was Kane setting him up and and Taze was oh, just right. watching the whole thing in awe, but. I thought um, it was Kane, but you might be right. Yeah, it was either Kane or Taze. It was either Kane or Taze that gave him the feed, and okay. it was impressive hand-eye coordination, regardless of who gave it to Gabalik. He yeah. did an amazing job. Well, I'm looking on at daily faceoff um, and what their line combinations is, and Taze is they have Taze uh, on or Kabalik on Taze's line, and Kane is not there. Mm-hmm. So, I think that that yeah. that probably has something to do with it. Um, he has he has he has spent time with Kane on uh, on a line with Patrick Kane this year, but lately um, Kabalik and Taves have been on a tear, and they've been paired a lot more lately because Kabalik has been on such a roll. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, anyways, uh, yeah, he's been um, he's had thirty two points. Twenty one of those points are goals, so it's already there. Yeah. Uh, which is impressive. I think he has. He's like fourth in rookie sco- scoring. Um, I do remember um, in the World Championships this last spring, um, he had uh, twelve points in ten games. Um, that was when I first heard his name. But other than, but other than that, he's kind of come out of nowhere because he's been in the Czech League for about five years prior, um, and now he's coming over, and then he. Uh, plays for the Blackhawks. Uh, the Blackhawks tend to have like um, a history of just taking guys that, um, you know, like just finding gems in the rough. I mean, other than Patrick Kane and Taze, obviously, but like it seems like they um, they always find these guys. Like even Alex DeBrincat, I know he was still he was pretty good in the OHL, um, and he was a second round pick. But that comes to mind. Panarin's another one. Um, but and now they have Kubalik, who's been uh, playing really well for them. So um, he's kind of a, a one in another line of them. Uh, yeah. So, th- but like that does kind of uh, make me a little bit cautious, though, 
um, even still, because um, he was decent in the Czech League. I'm just looking over his numbers. Um, but that there is a difference between the Czech League and the Swiss League um, to what uh, what he was capable of doing in the NHL, where the NHL is obviously like the best league um, for mm-hmm. hockey. Um, so, you know, I guess so far it translates, but, um, you know, we kind of thought like Nikita Gusev was going to uh, take over right away and he has, he still hasn't been there just yet. Um, but it is, um, and also this ice time thing for Kubalik, who's only played 13 minutes uh, on average. Um, although I guess recently he's, his ice time has increased and I'm sure if he starts scoring even more then he'll be on the top two lines but it still gives me a, a little bit of caution in the air where I'm like I'm not sure how consistent he'll be for the rest of the season yeah so uh, right now he's on pace for an average of 35 goals and 54 points if he ends up playing 82 games uh, currently has 113 shots on goal right now which would be 11 shy of 200 if he played a full 82 um, over the last 16 games in particular, he's been red hot. He has uh, 19 points in that span. Uh, him and Jonathan Tate since January 1st have uh, 15 goals and 30 points combined. Um, so fantastic that that duo has uh, really caught on fire. Uh, also top 20 in shots on goal during that stretch. He has 31 shots on goal, nine of those alone came in a game i want to say against the sens where he got nine shots on goal um so typically he averages two to four shots per game so that's not a whole heck of a lot and you're right when you say his ice time hasn't really been that high it's his average ice time per game is not even 14 minutes this year so he hasn't really gotten a lot of minutes like Taves and kane and debrinket and strom to really excel and yet in the time that he has spent on the ice, he has been able to put forward good results. Um, at one point, he had goals in five straight games. He's had goals in seven of his past nine matches. Um, and in that stretch of nine games, he had three two-goal games. So, um, like I said, making the most of whatever opportunities he's getting. Um, what's also interesting is that he hasn't really spent any legit time on Chicago's top power play unit and yet he ranks seventh on the team in total power play minutes this year. And he's only got two goals and five uh, points with the extra man. So again, they're giving him chances, but they're not giving him primary chances to do much of anything. And he still put up 21 goals and 32 points, which is a testament uh, partially of how good Dominic Kabalik is and how he's been able to cash in. Um, and if, if you want to really delve deep into how good Dominic Kabalik has been in the short time he's played, here's, here's a stat for you. Among all of the players in history to make their NHL debut with the Chicago Blackhawks, Dominic Kabalik became the sixth to score 20 career goals prior to his 50th career NHL game. He did so in 47 games. The other guys who did it was uh, Bill... Mosienko, he did it in 30 games. Eric Daze, he did it in 43. Steve Larmer, who did it in 44 games. Mickey McKay, who did it in 45 games. And Dick Irvin, who did it in 46 games. So Dominic Kabalik, for 
the limited amount of ice time he has put forward this year has been a very useful player. Kind of reminds me a lot of what Dominic Cahoon was for Chicago last year. Didn't really get that many primary chances to succeed, but he got some looks with the top six and he was able to get decent results with the top six. So um, I'm kind of interested to see how they utilize him in the second half of the season because they have some guys like Brandon Sod and Andrew Shaw where I think Dominic Kabalik is certainly worth looking at in terms of a top six role because this could be one of the guys that could kind of bring Chicago back to playoff relevancy because that's ultimately where the Chicago Blackhawks need to be. If they want to contend a little bit more with the current core that they have, they need to identify pieces that are going to help them get there and not go up against their cap. And getting a guy like Kabalik on board for not that much money would be huge if Stan Bowen can get it done. So I'm interested to see how they utilize Dominic Kabalik and what kind of success he has down the road because he's certainly shown that he can have success with Chicago and not just have a decent amount of success, but a good amount of success on this team. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good point. I don't know. I I think the Blackhawks are an interesting team in that they always find these kind of guys. Dominic Cahoon was another one that you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, I could see him, you know, and it's also, it's not like the Blackhawks have a ton of um, wingers other than DeBrincat and Patrick Kane, of course. But, um, so, I could see him take, like, take a top six role and actually flourish once the Blackhawks are ready to um, compete again. Um, But yeah, at the moment, I think, you know, it it is good seeing how, what he is capable of, but I think we're going to see some inconsistencies um, even this year. Yeah, I think that's not a far cry or even that much of a stretch. Like, When you score 15 goals in 22 games, people are waiting for the but. They're waiting right. for the okay, and where's the where's the cold streak? I'm waiting for it. It's going to come because nobody scores at this rate. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there are probably going to be inconsistencies that surface, and how he bounces back from that is going to be key as well. For sure, and I think you could say the same for all a lot of the guys that we talked about. Yeah. Um, so, or all six of these guys, it's like, they're doing well now, but when's the wheels? Go- when are the wheels going to come off? When's um, that taste of adversity coming? For sure. So that should be interesting to see for all five, for all six of these guys. Yeah. Um, the um, what was I going to say? Okay, so yeah, that's it for us right now. Um, hope you guys enjoyed the All Star break. I think it's going on right now too. The the All Star game mm-hmm. as we're recording. Um. I hate this time of the month though because it's like I just want hockey and it's not happening. I mean, I guess the All Star Game is fine, but it's still it's just I want some hockey, actual hockey. The one, the one thing I will say is we get closer into February, the yeah. trade market is going to heat up, and there's those are always exciting. Going to be a lot of things that happen between now and March. Like yeah. February is probably going to be a very busy hockey month for sure, and I think. Yeah, we'll probably have an episode next week on on the trade stuff. So, um, yeah, when happens, yeah, yeah, whenever that happens. Um, 
All right. I uh, yes, you can catch us on uh, SoundCloud and Spotify and iTunes um, or wherever you get your uh, podcast. Uh, our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our where we post pretty much every day. Um, our yeah. Facebook is Lace Them Up, and um, yeah, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 204 of the Lace Them Up podcast.